0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. In Luther's explanation to the Eighth Commandment, we are taught to put the best construction on everything. I think an area where Lutherans are often good at doing this is when we try to understand various beliefs of other Christian denominations. We may not always agree with their beliefs, but we often put a good construction on them, meaning that we often want to see what might still be good in their teachings. And this is good so long as we do not give our passive approval to false belief or to false doctrine. And in trying to keep the Eighth Commandment, we would like to think that all churches teach pretty much the same thing. We would like to believe that all Christian churches follow their namesake, that is, they follow our Lord Jesus Christ. We would like to think that all Christian churches put Christ at the center and clearly teach how sinners can obtain eternal life through faith in Jesus and through the forgiveness of sins, which he delivers to us by grace through faith. These things are, after all, what we regularly hear here at Grace Lutheran Church. So we want to think that all churches that call themselves Christian would teach these simple truths everywhere. We sure would like to think that when Jesus said, Take eat, this is my body, and take drink, this is my blood, that all Christians everywhere would believe what Jesus said concerning the Lord's Supper but sadly that is not the case which also demonstrates that even though we'd like to see all of our churches believe teach and te- confess the same thing they don't all do so so in the so, so many Protestant churches concerning the Lord's Supper they teach that The bread and wine only were the body and blood of Jesus one time, and that was on Maundy Thursday. That's what many Protestant churches teach, that when Jesus gave them his bread, or that bread, he was giving them his body, and that only happened once for those disciples and has never happened again and doesn't happen today. They say that any celebration of the Lord's Supper ever since is simply a reenactment of what had taken place back then. Some churches use the argument that since Jesus is locally present in heaven, claiming that since he has a body, he can only be present in the confines in the space of his body and therefore cannot be present anywhere, They then conclude that Jesus cannot possibly be present in, with, and under the bread and wine when the Lord's Supper is celebrated. Many churches publicly teach that only faith saves through the word and therefore the Lord's Supper cannot deliver the forgiveness of sins because you need faith, not things like communion or even baptism. Some churches teach that we are only forgiven By faith, or I already said that. Um, So the world's largest denomination and what they teach concerning this is that the Lord's Supper is an unbloody sacrifice which was offered in order to merit grace. So when the priest stands and lifts up the elements facing the altar, that is facing God, he is then offering up to God an unbloody sacrifice, and the one who sponsors that mass is the one who receives the benefits of this unbloody sacrifice. Complicated and confusing, yes. And dear, Christ, brother, bro, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the scriptures do not teach These various things. What the Lord's Supper is and what the Bible says is not very hard to understand. Jesus took bread and gave to his disciples his body. He took wine and gave to his disciples his blood. He instructed, do this for the forgiveness of sins. When we go to the communion rail at this church, We truly receive the body and blood of Christ as we receive the bread and the wine. When receiving this sacrament in faith, we then receive this sacrament to our tremendous benefit, namely the forgiveness of our sins and communion with Christ. It is, after all, the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted it, Jesus then defines it. He blesses the celebration of it and continues to deliver his forgiveness as we receive him in the sacrament. So we ask that question tonight. Do you believe then that the true body and blood of Christ are in the sacrament? Answer, yes, I believe it. What convinces you to believe this? Answer, the word of Christ Take, eat, this is my body, drink of it, all of you, this is my blood. As St. Paul wrote in Titus chapter 1, God does not lie. It truly is what he says it is. As Jesus himself said, God's word is truth when he prayed the high priestly prayer on Monday Thursday. Now, in my experience, I've talked to many Christians who go to churches who do not teach these clear teachings concerning the Lord's Supper. They'll teach those other things that I would outlined a little bit earlier. And what I have found is that a lot of Christians who go to those churches do not even realize what their church teaches concerning the Lord's Supper. Why is that? Because for many of them, they have heard the words of Jesus The words of Jesus are spoken quite often at these churches and so they believe what Jesus says about it and not the complicated theories and false beliefs that are often promulgated by their denominations. And thanks be to God when they actually listen to the word of Jesus as opposed to the theories or the ideas that their church might espouse. Then we ask the question, what should we do when we eat his body and drink his blood and in this way receive his pledge? Answer, we should remember and proclaim his death and the shedding of his blood as he has taught us. After all, the Bible declares in 1 Corinthians 11, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then finally, we ask that question, why should we remember and proclaim his death? And the answer, we had a three-part answer. First, so that we may learn to believe that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God and true man, could do that. Second, so that we may learn to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. And third, so that we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him be saved. Every question tonight, I would submit to you that we had looked at in the Catechism, is very important. Why do we believe in Christ's bodily presence, that he joins himself to the bread and the wine in the sacrament? Because Jesus said so. What convinces you of this? Jesus said so. Why should we do this? Because Jesus said so, that we remember and proclaim his death. Why would we do this, remember and proclaim his death? First, so that we may learn to believe that no creature could make satisfaction for our sins. Only Christ, true God, and and man could do that. That is, no individual who has ever lived on the face of this earth aside for Jesus could offer the atoning sacrifice for sin. No one, then, can earn salvation. No one can earn his own salvation, and no one can earn salvation for another person. And so Jesus had to do it. He is God. He is perfect. He could offer a perfect payment of his innocent blood. And because he is God, he could offer it to atone for the sins of not just one other person, but for the sins of the entire world. And no one can ascend to God apart from faith in Christ. That is, nobody could make their way to get into heaven apart from faith. Christ, and so the Son had to come to us, and he had to die. The passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we have been hearing it from the Gospels during these Lenten services, was absolutely necessary. Jesus, remember, as we heard when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, had asked if it could be taken away from him, this cup, but then he had prayed not his will, but God's will be done, And because he went to the cross, you can be certain that that was God's will. That Jesus had to be beaten, nailed to that tree, and die shows how horrible our sins truly are. We often like to downplay them. We like to pretend that we really haven't had much to confess. C.F.W. Walther once said, By making our sins small, we make Christ small. That would practically amount to saying Christ can forgive small but not great sins. You need to recognize that your sins are not small, nor is your Savior small. For he is the great Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and He has triumphed over death in the grave, and he has earned forgiveness for all sins even the ones we've committed that we are too shamed to admit. We heard examples of two grievous sins in today's passion narrative, one by Peter as he denied Jesus three times, and then also the betrayal of Judas. Peter was restored because Christ gave him the gospel. Judas tried to, to make amends and he can't make amends and the priest failed to help him by giving him the gospel and so he in despair went out and hanged himself. They both saw how great their sins truly are horrified by what they had done and Jesus declared as we heard in Mark 7 What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. We like to pass on the blame and say others are the reason for why we do these things, but Jesus makes it very clear These come from within your own heart. And so as we testified in Christian questions with their answers tonight, second, so that we may learn to be horrified by our sins and to regard them as very serious. Yes, we remember and proclaim the Lord's death for this reason. And then third, so that we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone and through faith in him, be saved so that when our sins weigh us down we can turn to Christ and we are comforted when we confess our sin we then hear the absolution that we are forgiven many churches do not pronounce the absolution M- most churches across the globe we are part of a very small minority that begin the service with confessing our sin and then the pastor announcing the absolution. And most churches don't even talk in their sermons about the forgiveness of sins that you receive through Christ. Instead, they talk about how you can work for Christ in his kingdom, what you can do because you are a Christian. Little comfort is often given. For those who are terrified by their sins. But we remember and proclaim his death so that we may find joy and comfort in Christ alone. So that our terror of our sins is taken away and instead we have confidence in Christ in Acts, we can see and hear how they were emboldened and comforted and filled with joy because Christ alone provides comfort. He alone forgives. He alone reconciles sinners to God, our Heavenly Father. Next, Acts, we heard of that prayer that was offered. And we heard of how they were emboldened despite the persecution that they faced. We rejoice in who we are by being baptized children of God, by being Christian. We rejoice that Jesus alone died for us and rose from the grave for our justification. We rejoice, as the psalm has taught us, for Christ has taken our sin away, and so we find joy and comfort in Christ alone. Through faith in him, we are saved, and what great reasons to go to the Lord's Supper and receive his gifts, and thereby remembering and proclaiming his death. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We now continue with.